I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is News Du Jour. Hey everyone and happy Wednesday. Quick reminder here at the top of the episode, if you're in the Oklahoma City area, tonight we are having a happy hour for our followers. Um, Reduced price drinks over at the Jones Assembly from 6 to 8 p.m. We would really love to see you there. We'll also have some discount codes for local boutiques as well as free bumper stickers and a cute Instagrammable spot to take pictures. Um, I would love to get a picture with you guys and help promote the podcast and celebrate our one-year anniversary. So the theme of today's episode is definitely girls, girls, girls. All of our stories today just happen to be women-centric for today's episode, so let's get into it. So for our first story, Minnesota has opted to not separate incarcerated moms and their babies. Minnesota is taking a first and very interesting step this week. They have opted to stop the practice of separating incarcerated mothers from their newborn children. Roughly 20 inmates give birth each year in the state of Minnesota. And then they are promptly separated from their infants after about 36 hours, which studies have shown is extremely detrimental to their bonding with their mother. One mother in jail reportedly rubbed her daughter's clothes all over her so that hopefully her child would remember her smell after she got out of prison. One mother missed out on her child's first months because of a very minor parole violation. This separation has proven to be harmful for both the mother and the child. But absolutely every state in the union does it. Until now. The alternative passed in this specific bill will be kind of a halfway house situation where the women will be under supervision as well as provided medical treatment for up to one year post-birth. Minnesota will serve as a testing ground to see if this new method helps with recidivism rates among women or if it causes further issues somehow. We'll have to wait and see. And then hand in hand with that last story, New Jersey is actually closing an infamous women's prison. Trigger warning here, this story involves sexual violence. 
So this particular prison was plagued with a reputation of sexual violence that the Justice Department even looked into and ruled that the sexual violence rampant there violated the prisoner's constitutional rights against cruel and unusual punishment. But one day in January, things really came to a head. The prisoners were so fed up with the guards, even after the Justice Department had intervened, that they chose to fling bodily fluids such as spit and urine onto the guards, resulting in a raid in the middle of the night where one woman was punched in the face over 28 times. 34 prison staff members are suspended due to this raid, and 10 of them were charged with crimes ranging from assault to official misconduct. The sexual violations ranged from forcing inmates to perform sexual acts on each other while the guards watched, or full-on rape at the hands of these guards. All of this tension is what led up to Governor Philip Murphy of New Jersey announcing the permanent closure of this prison. We have seen time and time again that violence endured in prison causes crime to increase and recidivism rates increase as well. Many states right now are moving towards more rehabilitative options, but as of right now, it is unclear where the 384 women housed in this facility will end up. And for our next story, Vice President Kamala Harris looks past the border. Vice President Kamala Harris has come under fire recently for not visiting the American-Mexican border yet. NBC's Lester Holt even grilled her on the issue recently on TV. Her response? She's looking beyond the border. Kamala made a concerted effort not to diminish what's going on at the border specifically, saying, quote, We have to deal with what's happening at the border. There's no question about that. That's not a debatable point. But we have to understand that there's a reason people are arriving at our border and ask what is that reason and then identify the problem so we can fix it. End quote. What Kamala is after is not a short-term fix. It's not a band-aid on this bullet hole of a problem. She's looking to actively work with our neighbors to the south in order to build a future that makes sense for all of us and enables people in Mexico and Guatemala to stay in their countries rather than desperately trying to flee for safety and stability. And honestly, this is an ambitious goal, but a much more long-term solution. She wants to break this cycle. As we mentioned this week and in previous episodes, Kamala is visiting both Mexico and Guatemala this week, and this first trip abroad since taking office, she urged migrants not to come to the United States. She swore that the U.S. will seek to, quote, root out corruption wherever it exists, end quote. 
That said, the Guatemalan leadership does not seem super receptive to this anti-corruption message happening right now from the White House, and likely because they climbed to the top of a corrupt system by being corrupt themselves. A firestorm of violence, crime, corruption, lack of resources, and climate change disasters actually plague these areas, and battling these immense systems will be no small feat, especially for an outsider. Only time will tell if Kamala Harris is up to the hefty challenge of actually helping make change in these areas for good and save the American immigration envoys from having to turn people away. And for our last story today, a 15-year-old girl's murder is finally solved through DNA evidence, almost 50 years later. Trigger warning here, this story involves a murder. So say it with me, y'all. Season of Justice. I am so happy to tell you guys that yet another murder has been solved through genetic genealogy. This technology is seriously changing the game when it comes to criminal justice. If you're unfamiliar or just don't know all the specifics, genetic genealogy is where DNA was collected at the crime scene that, without a doubt, came from the killer. But oftentimes, that DNA is sitting on a shelf collecting dust because at the time of the crime, there was no way to connect it to a specific person. But now, with the rise of testing like 23andMe and MyHeritage and AncestryDNA and more, lots of people around the world are adding their DNA to these databases that can then be connected back to potential killers. You see, the killer themselves may not have done 23andMe, but if his sister did, or his cousin did, or his son did, or heck, If his fourth cousin did, it can still be connected back to them due to the similarity in their DNA structure. You see, if they find someone who has a very similar DNA in the system to their killer, they can start looking at that family tree. If someone on their family tree fits the description of who they're looking for or lives in that little town or was one of their original suspects, They can secretly collect that DNA from that person and definitively tie the crime back to them. This technology has been solving tons and tons of cold crimes across the country, including famous ones like the Golden State Killer. In this particular case, though, a 15-year-old girl named Julie Ann Hansen was found stabbed to death in a cornfield outside of Chicago. Her life was cut so short. The police have been looking for the man who did this ever since and ended up finding him thanks to genetic genealogy, but finding him within their own ranks. That's right. The murderer was a police officer. He was only 27 when he committed this heinous crime, but is now paying the price at age 76. 
Although it will never bring back this bright, beautiful person murdered at just 15 years old, this is comforting for the family members she still has left behind. See how this is a women-centric episode? I'm so happy we were able to get Julie Ann Hansen some long-awaited justice. And that is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote, So this life, this is life. I want you to know that I'm both happy and sad, and I'm still trying to figure out how that could be. Thank you so much for listening to News Du Jour. If we help you stay informed, please consider becoming a sponsor of our podcast. There's always a link in our show notes where you can contribute financially to help us keep the show going and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But a couple other ways to support our podcast are, number one, rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. Number two, share on your social media. You have influence. And number three, tell your friends, family, and colleagues that you love News Du Jour and why you listen. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram, sugarfree underscore media on Twitter, and just sugarfreemedia, all one word on TikTok. We also have a weekend newsletter called Dreamers Digest that has nothing to do with the news. It's basically just dreamy content recommendations for the weekend. Subscribe today at www.sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoy and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our sugar-free media logo is by Catherine Jezik Designs. And all the twinkling and pawing around you might hear during our podcast is by my little rescue pup who has anxiety and so he always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from... Oh. Oh.